0: The Q Affair. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction, so it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 8. President Trump had cryptically mentioned the calm before the storm in a press gathering at the White House back in October 2017 when Q first started posting not having much else to add to the remark except, you'll see, when asked by a member of the assembled press. The earliest cue posts seemed to further enlighten people about the possible meaning of the remark, as they foretold the coming political storm that Trump would bring about in his efforts to clear the swamp of the deep state cabal. Some of Desiree's subscribers, myself included, Were to experience our own stormy times as spring rolled around, partly as a consequence of Desiree's discovery of my online post, no doubt having had her flying monkeys report back to her, or seeing it herself linked to by me in comments under other people's clips of her videos. It turned out that Desiree took at least as much interest in her sub-stories as they did in hers. But I digress, as she often said. The insider intelligence drops were still being posted by Q, and the many new channels that had sprung up to decode posts continued to flourish, although some big channels fell. The once mighty Alec Johnson InfoPill channel was becoming more suspicious in the minds of many conservative patriots although he still commanded a huge audience and was reputed to be making somewhere in the region of 20 million a year, in large part through selling products and advertising these, helped by the fact that his show was syndicated on various radio stations. He was the giant standing in the midst of mice in the truth community. At the time, I remember finding reports with undercover footage later verified by court proceedings that many conspiracy channels that were popular in the truther end of YouTube were being heavily censored by orders from the higher-ups on the platform, who were clearly worried about the high viewership such channels were commanding. Truthers had little doubt that this censorship was an attempt to control the political narrative. Some suspected that Johnson was also creating his own false narrative, backed by forces in the deep state. He was seen by many as a disinformation shill. I was never terribly sure for who, because a variety of government agencies that he might be shilling for, spreading false information purposely to cause division in the ranks of conservatives generally, were mentioned in the busy chat sections of the YouTubers' channels. And I never heard a general consensus opinion being reached with various domestic three letter agencies being cited as well as foreign intelligence agencies like Mossad, Israel's intelligence agency. He was soon to become a victim himself of the censorship with his channel taken down, it was said, for violation of terms of service because of the nature of its content with controversies like his sceptical investigations into the events at Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings, which suggested that it may have been a false flag event being reported with outrage in mainstream media. Independent conservative journalists on several YouTube channels also revealed some sort of court footage of YouTube employees being questioned about why they didn't remove channels like InfoPill from the recommended lists, on YouTube and prevent them from appearing high in the rankings by getting in there to alter the algorithms that made them appear in the carousel of trending videos immediately to remove them before they got too high in the search rankings making the higher spots on the carousel. This censorship was happening across different social media platforms too such as Facebook and Twitter where conservative patriots were forever complaining about having to start up new channels when their accounts were suspended, or in the case of some, banned permanently, with violation of terms of service being cited regularly as the platform's reason for banning them. It seemed at times like pretty much all the moderators were not only liberal, but bigoted liberals. Johnson's InfoPill was running into more trouble from his own subscribers turning on him too. Many InfoPill pa- fans, like myself, started to question the quality of his sources and his truthfulness in general when the news broke that the cue he had been promoting as verified and legitimate by his own inside sources. He boasted of his continuing friendship with President Trump, who had spoken well of him as a news reporter publicly in 2015, before he was an election candidate, and who he claimed still rang him up from time to time to congratulate him on the excellence of his show. This turned out not to be the Q Clearance Patriot that posted on the early boards, not the insider working with the president to put out posts after all but a low ranking U.S. Army soldier called Zachariah Kabir, who was now complaining to mainstream newspapers of bullying because of his Muslim beliefs by his fellow soldiers, some of whom called him a raghead, even when they weren't fighting the Taliban, but at home on an American base. I was aware of these developments and disappointed by Johnson's unsatisfactory explanations which seemed little more than an attempt to put distance between himself and the revelations. And he never explained how an intrepid reporter like himself was so duped that he believed the humble Muslim private was the patriot responsible for the Q-drops leaking out secret intel about the president's plans to drain the deep state swamp clean. It was kind of amusing to think on a bit, But I was more interested in Desiree's story at the time, finding it full of human and personal interest. And I was still allowed in her chat back then to mingle with her subs, most of whom were either less dubious than myself about her tastes, or perhaps just more polite and accommodating about agreeing with everything she said, as though their very souls depended on it, keen as mustard to please her. I suppose they were growing fond of her or something. I wasn't. I've never liked liars for some reason. I feel they are sneering at others by continuing to say ludicrous, illogical things. But perhaps that's the researcher in me getting too easily offended. I did laugh often, though. And that more than made up for any offence to my intelligence that her stories caused. I stuck around because there was the feeling... That it was all going somewhere, as all the best stories do, building up to something like a conclusion that would put some sense to the rest of the story to date. We were still in the build-up stage, I thought. An online newspaper article I came across, which had a couple of comments credited to Desiree appearing under it, gave me particular pause for thought. It was a local English newspaper about the kidney Christians, and there was Desiree herself underneath the article, posting away in their comment section over the space of a year, no doubt having more thoughts occurred to her over time about the news story. The first comment defended the practice of live organ donation that the group were encouraging the members to engage in, as well as informing us that Rick Russell and Bob Coventry were thugs, earning a pretty penny from stalking loving Christians. Her daughter got no mention, which was odd, given the proximity in time to her daughter's murder that the first posting was made, only a couple of months after it had happened, and knowing that she rarely got through a Truth Fleet show without mentioning the murder by the gang. In the following post, Zire, who apparently had adopted one of the group's lifestyle habits, dumpster diving, as her own, recounted her unfortunate experience of getting trapped in a dumpster during a bin raid, sustaining a serious injury to her arm, which meant she could no longer create art. I thought of the piece I had seen in her old channel's video's background, positioned behind and hovering slightly above her on the wall, where later the Virgin of Guadalupe's outsized vagina would hang. A picture of Jesus benevolently holding his palms out to his side, palms up, as though he wanted to show you how well he'd washed them, with the gold glow around him, radiating out from his person. Her income from an online eBay business, she stated was also hampered by the activities of the vigilante-based stalkers to such an extent that no one wanted to do business with her anymore. Some of the stalkers had even circled her in a car while she was out and about, and she had to drop her food and run for her life. She was now forced to eat tuna five times a week. Her weight had dropped to a mere 130 pounds, and things must have gotten even worse in the dietary department for her. As in a third post, she told the readers that one day she was forced to resort to raiding her budgie's cage to provide the sunflower seed necessary for a topping for homemade bread, as she was a virtual shut-in, presumably from fear of going out and being confronted with stalkers. Dear reader, you might think me awfully cruel. Perhaps I am, but I laughed so hard visualising the fall in the dumpster and birdcage raid for bread. I laughed so much, my stomach hurt afterwards. But something else she had said in the posts had struck me as not so funny. She had said that although the church had contributed money towards a new laptop for her, she had very little money still, since she no longer had a business, and the $1,700 a month she received by way of a disability benefit even with the food she was receiving from her church, and she needed at least $800 more a month just to survive. She mentioned her blog, which she pointed out had a PayPal link in it, where readers could donate money to help her out. This story was far more eccentric and strange than anything Desiree had yet told us about on her channel, and the mention of her urgent need for money had a familiar ring to it as Desiree frequently asked her subscribers to donate money to her PayPal link under her videos. She liked to compare herself to a street busker, entertaining people, and hopeful of getting a few coins thrown into his hat in exchange for the entertainment he had provided. To be fair, she did put something else more tangible before the public, because she was fond of crafts and produced quilts for sale payment through PayPal on a small sewing machine which grew eventually to almost fill the whole living area. These she sometimes worked away at while chatting to her live stream friends with the camera shaking as the sewing machine rattled away at a scene and her loud voice threatened to be drowned out by the noise as the quilting progressed and she told a story. And dragged the fabric roughly through the foot of the machine trimming off the threads as she continued whatever story she was on and peered sometimes at the chat to see who had dropped in and say hello. The quilts weren't of the best quality as she was the first and only person to point out compared to some of the quilts produced on other craft channels she sometimes picked up craft tips from. She had a dislike of measuring fabric and measured the completed quilt at the end, adding any leftover pieces to the edges to even out any inconsistencies that had made the quilt not quite the shape she had been envisaging at the start. Sometimes the fleece backing, done by hand because of its thickness, needed to be unpicked here and there, as her hand stitching, she pointed out to us, wasn't the best, since she was both visually impaired. Apparently the glasses which she liked to wave around in her hand sometimes or tap on the tabletop to emphasise some points she was making about her stalkers weren't useful for close-up work as she rarely wore them while sewing or reading small text in her chat screen. And she had nerve damage to her hands, she told us, from the chemicals in the factory where she used to work. Desire had a good sense of colour though. And her quilts were attractive enough for some subscribers to express an interest in wanting to purchase. She had other craft items for sale as she also made plant pots with macrame hangers, upcycling them from local palm trees that had blown down in the numerous storms the area seemed to experience. These she stapled together with rivets using a hole punch She offered these to her subs at $30 for two, which everyone agreed with her was a reasonable price. She wasn't shy about just asking for money for items she needed, however, without producing anything in return, except a continuing stream of entertainment from her channel. She had big plans to expand her channel and needed her subscribers' help to do this. She had registered a trademark name for a new channel which would be exclusively devoted to reporting news. TFNN, Truth Fleet News Network, as she named it, would require better equipment, such as a new laptop, some office equipment, if it was to be truly professional. All going well, she might even want to hire some help as the channel expanded, or perhaps pay her prescribers a fee for helping her remotely with her news research. I started to smell a rat at this stage, remembering the comments section of the small English newspaper where others had posted replies to Desiree's comments, urging people not to part with a cent to the woman who was a scam artist and hustler, always trying to get money out of people on fraud, false pretenses. I worried that Desiree's more frequent requests for cash from her subscribers for various things, ranging from helping her pay for investigation fees to get her daughter's case reopened, to urging people to write to her at a post office box address, enclosing cash for a cup of coffee or a few prepping items, would escalate further, and some of the more innocent subscribers might be taken advantage of being fellow Catholics who felt they were now Desiree's friend and would want to help her if she said she needed cash for something. There was also the idea in my mind that if subscribers were to write to Desiree, that they might get something other than a nice letter back, should she have a falling out with them. If anything, I had read online about the phone calls and disruptions she'd caused in people's lives in the recent past were to be believed. My first port of call was another YouTuber Desiree had mentioned in a video. This YouTuber, a woman called Trinity, looked into YouTubers who were running scams on YouTube, doing videos exposing them. I wanted her to be aware of Desiree and the potential I saw for her small money raising efforts, which seemed to me to be based around eliciting sympathy first from her subscribers before turning it into cash and I contacted her on her channel to ask her to watch DeZero's videos and see how the money-raising efforts went, and particularly to keep an eye on whether the requests for money escalated as time went on. Trinity wanted me to email her privately to discuss it further, but I wasn't keen on sharing my private information with a relative stranger, and few of my friends are given my email either, since I dislike emailing and telephoning people preferring my own company much of the time to having to respond to someone as soon as the phone rings or an email arrives, as you tend to have to do for politeness sake. Trinity was a bit non-committal, and our short contact seemed to end with no promises to monitor Desiree's activities being made. So it was, with these concerns in mind, regarding Desiree's potential to talk her subscribers out of their pockets or bank savings contents, as well as her tendency to engage in fights with people, that left them upset and bewildered, that I revived a blog which I neglected for a couple of years, adding my YouTube avatar's name to it, and removing any biographical information from it, as I expected Desiree to be more than a little miffed. Now that I'd gotten to find out more about her, that someone had actually taken her up on her suggestion to research her story for themselves and share it as widely as possible to get the case reopened and bring the criminals to justice. I decided to tell people about Desiree's story, but include the bits she'd left out, the bits that others on the Internet had filled in with some rather pertinent details. I was determined that if subscribers were to buy what Denise was selling, which included the story of her victimhood at the hands of stalkers, that a caveat emptor should be included in the bill of purchase as a warning of what they might be letting themselves in for.